<laughs> Thank you for the effort there. Appreciate that. So I, I chickened out the first service in saying this, but I went for it last service, and I'm going to say it again just because uh, I've been looking forward to saying this for a few weeks. Um, hi, my name is David, and I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> There's, there's a lot behind that that I hope I get to be able to share with you today, but I'm glad. I'm really, really glad. We have some pretty special friends here. Um, there's a whole shout-out group here from FCA, Franklin Christian Academy, some parents and students where my kids go. Uh, the headmaster, his wife are here, and then I've got some other friends from the community that are here. And, a couple of them, um, they know my stuff. They have walked a road with me in my story that I can't describe to you how much of a blessing it is to have people like that in your life. We're going to talk about that this morning. In keeping with the series that we began a couple weeks ago in the book of Acts, entitled, In This Together, I want to answer the question with you this morning, how we got here, specifically to learn how to map the story that God is doing collectively at Conduit. If you're a guest and you're a part of another body of believers somewhere, the story that is being written there, but then pressing in even a little more to the individual personal story that you have, that I have. I can remember as a kid, my dad, um, on one of our family vacations, just before he, he brought out the old Atlas map and taught us how to use it. And I can remember being really excited with that map. We opened up to Colorado where we lived and we zeroed into the Denver area and then over to the, uh, the city where we were in Lakewood. And dad said, this is where we live and then he'd flip a few pages over to the state we were going to go to. And he said, this is where we're going. Then he showed us where at the back is that big national map. And we started to chart the journey of how we were going to get there. And then the most important part was, how long is it going to take to get there? I can remember looking at those maps, just fascinated with how someone could have done all of that. Who's behind all of that? It was pretty impressive. We've come a long ways from the maps that can't talk back to you and don't listen to you and could care less about what you say to them. They're not yelling at you, recalculating. We've come a long way to now what most of us, I would say all of us, even, even the kids in this room. How many kids know what a GPS is? Raise your hands. Yeah. Cool. How many of you have one? Some of you do. Stands for Global Positioning System. Someone who, I messed up last service. We, we asked for a 10-year-old, and we got an 11-year-old. So an 11-year-old. If you're 11, are you 11? I knew it. What's your name? Jack. Jack. Jack, can you stand up? Well done, Jack. All right, sit down. No, just kidding. <laughs> Read the highlighted blue area right there. Those three words. Mom and dad are proud. That was good. Those are some big words. Good job, Jack. 
Real quick, read the little parenthesis or parenthetical little tag there. What are those next three letters? Where? Right next to it. Oh, PNT. PNT. So what do you think the P stands for, Jack? Uh, you can phone a friend if you want to. Navigation. Positioning, and N stands for? Navigation, and T stands for? There you go. Thank you. Give Jack a good hand. Well done, Jack. Thank you, buddy. You can sit down. When you're mapping your journey, these three things are pretty important. Where am I? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? How long is this going to take? But I want to submit to you that even with the technology of the GPS, even that falls short especially when you talk about the journey of your life, the story of your life. Where you're at right now, looking back, mapping how you got where you're at, and then if we want to think about where we're going, where we're headed, how we're going to get there, and don't you get frustrated sometimes thinking about how long it's going to take to get there? God has been really good to me, getting me where I needed to be, helping me understand how I got there, where I'm heading, and right now I don't really care how long it takes to get there because I am enjoying Jesus. I can say with confidence right now that I have absolute no doubt, never been more sure, never been way more happy than to know that God has brought me and my family in this place together with you. I want to be able to tell some of that story this morning, but only with the hope and the intention that you would be willing in hearing my story to be able to contemplate your story. And that you would allow as we go to some texts of scripture to be able to see what we're going to call core components of the, the early disciples as their story began to unfold and Jesus propelled them forward with a gift, how that we can take those components and create coordinates, mapping coordinates, not just for you personally, but for our church. And that God would bless that. If you would, let's go to the first text. Um, turn to the second longest story in the New Testament. Whole lots of pages turning. <laughs> the book of Acts, the second longest story in our New Testament. We'll start in chapter one. And it's interesting as you're turning there, you'll realize that this is not the first letter that the author wrote. The author is Luke, the physician. This is actually his second letter, he says. And it's fascinating when you look at the Gospel of Luke, which is the first letter, and that happens to be the longest story in the New Testament. You have two of the longest stories written by one man to one man. Take some time to read through both of those letters and consider the intentional effort and love that Luke had for a man named Theophilus simply to convince him that Jesus was who he said he was. That's just a side note. Acts 1, let's go 
to verse number eight. Most of you are familiar with this verse. You may hear it at missions conferences or Sunday school classes. It's usually in reference to how to mobilize and strategize the Great Commission moving forward, which we often hear in the context of a command, a mandate. Here's what it says. Luke is quoting Jesus just before he ascends up into heaven. He's looking to his disciples and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we often refer to this as the Great Commission. Except in this text, I want you to notice what's not there. There is no command. There's no verbal mandate at all. In fact, if you look at this, Jesus is actually making a prediction He is saying that this is going to happen as a result of something else having happened. I just said that wrong. Having happened. (laughs) To know what was going to happen to make this the result, we have to go back. Let's start in verse number three. Luke writes, He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them, here's your verbal mandate, first command. He ordered them not to depart, which sounds something like this, stop, wait. Then comes the second command, not depart from Jerusalem, but to, what's the next command? Wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, I've spoken this to you. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said, I realize that you've seen me and you're convinced. You believe I am who I say I am. I've been with you for 40 days. Some of you have actually put your finger up to my wounds and pressed your finger through the nail print of my wounds. You've watched me eat and drink. Some of you have watched me walk through a wall. You're convinced I'm alive. But here's what Jesus is saying. While you may be convinced and you're ready to go tell everybody you know and be my witnesses, you've got the right message, the right content, you even have the right faith and the right belief, you still are missing the key ingredient for my gospel. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes as a gift that Jesus says is going to be given from the Father to you. I want to submit to you that this gift was way better, way more gooder. How's that for English? Way more gooder than a GPS. In fact, I'd like to call this the gift of CPS, Cosmic Positioning spirit, cosmic. There are no boundaries to the cosmos. The Holy Spirit is not confined to the limitation of just this little sphere we call earth or a global mentality or global uh, reality. He has made and put into space with the triune power billions of innumerable spheres that are far larger than this planet earth. And he is the one that Jesus says, I am going to give to you. Some people would argue that the power of the Holy Spirit is just 
circumstantial coincidence, I would argue to you that it's actually sovereign omnipotence. It's interesting as we have looked at already in Acts chapter 2 that it came to pass where they were gathered and they did wait, they obeyed. They waited for the coming of the, the Spirit that was sent from the Father and amazing things happened, supernatural things that could not be explained. And the result of those supernatural things was that they came together in one place and then they devoted, they committed themselves to four things. Look at them here. The first one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you could make a little box, we'll see it in a graphic here in just a moment. In fact, I'll go ahead and put it up. So here is the complexity of three services. Last two services, I had this. So now I'm right. Here we go. We've got them in the right spot. Here they are. They committed themselves to the word. This is God speaking to you. We call this monologue. It's God's words that we need. The disciples devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, which were just teaching the commands and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Second, they were committed to prayer. Prayer is dialogue. It's responding back to the Father after he has spoken to us. Third, it's interesting that they, they came together in fellowship. Last week, we, learned, we looked at the word koinonia, which means intimacy. It's the experience when you come to a relationship with someone where you, you literally strip off the layers and you become open and genuine and authentic and transparent. There are no secrets. Up until two years ago, I had never done that with anyone, not even my wife. It's a scary thing. It's a hard thing. But can I tell you, it is one of the most freeing, amazing, liberating experiences. Because Jesus never intended for any one of his disciples ever to live in isolation. He intended us for community. And when you come into community with other people, who are walking the same kind of road, the same kind of story that you have and share, you then all of a sudden don't need more accountability. You actually begin to open up yourself to accessibility. You permit and invite and give someone access to your own soul. That's not easy. We've said it before that true authenticity and transparency is becoming the person you most truly are in the presence of someone willing to do the same. And when that happens, you're allowing someone to speak into you and minister to you and love you. And then in reciprocation, you were able to pour into them. And that's the fellowship that Christ desires with us. Lastly is circumstance. It's interesting, um, if you go back to the text... It says there in wrong one. It says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Things that just could not be described started happening. And again, people might chalk it up to just coincidence. No, it's sovereign omnipotence. The CPS, the cosmic positioning spirit was on the move. I would suggest to you that these core components that made up the storyline of these disciples become the coordinates whereby we are able to receive what God has for each of our own stories 
to be able to practice commitment to the word, to prayer, to community, to circumstances. And may you hear me, please do not make this a checklist. Up until two years ago, two and a half years ago, I would have my time in the word as a pastor. I would pray. I would desire community. But it was so empty. I had to come to a place where God awakened my heart to my own brokenness. I didn't know what that looked like. I had never done it before. I didn't know how it was done. I grew up in a culture where that was really not practiced much. But this is what Jesus desires. This is what he modeled for us. When in humiliation, he loved us. He gave all of him for us. I'm going to skip through the next part, which if you want to hear it, you can't because I think this is being recorded. So series one and, or service one and two were not. But I'm going to jump forward and tell my story. As you listen to my story, um, I want to encourage you to think through as I talk. I'm not going to go in order of these things, but as the Lord began to open up my heart to these things, this is when my story started to change. In the summer of 2011, we loved Colorado, having grown up there. It's one of my soft spots in my heart. We loved to go to a place called Frisco, which is just outside of Breckenridge in Summit County. Right on Main Street is a little church called Rocky Mountain Bible Church. I can remember before 2011 several times, and you haven't heard this part yet, it's interesting to recognize that one of the magnets or common denominators of conduit is music. For my story, that is one of the most humorous, ironic things that you could ever think about. Because for me, in the culture that I grew up in, I had some very specific thoughts about music. In fact, when we would go on vacation, I would like to visit other churches on Sunday with my family. So one day, several years before 2011, I'm walking down Main Street, I see this church, and I walk inside the church, and I peek in the sanctuary, and up on the platform was one of those. And I immediately decided we could never go there. Because drums were bad. I got in trouble one day for listening to Sandy Patty and Steve Green. Yeah, right? That was the culture I lived in. And that was part of my brokenness in thinking that I could pursue that as a checklist to merit favor with God. So we didn't go for a couple of years. Finally, I remember the first Sunday we went, and I actually told my family, I said, now, guys, we're going to go to this church for the first 20 minutes during the worship. You can't actually physically plug your ears, but you need to plug your ears so that we can get through the, the singing part, the worship part, to get to the preaching, to the good stuff. So we'll tolerate the bad music in order to get to the message. I'm just, I'm being honest with you. By the way, God has really changed my heart since then. The second summer that we started going there on one Sunday morning, I met a guy named Derek Smothers. He was his first Sunday as the new youth pastor there. Derek and I hit it off. Grew to love his family, his wife. After several times going out and meeting with him, we began to open up to one another. I shared certain things with him, he with me, but we never went to the level that we now are at. 
I can remember inviting Darren to come out and visit us here in Tennessee, and he said, you know what, I would love to do that. I've actually never been past the Mississippi River, but I've got a pastor friend who's out in Tennessee, and I've told him at some point I'm going to come visit him, and so when we do, it should be convenient for us to come and see you wherever you're at, and we'll make it a dual-purpose trip. I said, great. Fast forward now to 2015. An amazing story. don't have time to go into it. We sold our house. I didn't want to sell our house. A guy called me on the phone one day, said, I want to buy your house. He said, who is this? I said, how do you know my house is not for sale? I don't want to move. Why are you calling me? That prompted us to actually end up selling our house. We moved into the subdivision that Darren and Shannon live in. We did not know them. I never met them. Six weeks after we closed on that house, God interrupted my life in one of the most amazing ways that I can ever imagine. He pressed down into my brokenness and he gave me the grace to be able to let it go. God worked a work of repentance in my heart and life that I can't explain to you. It was hard. Repentance requires us sometimes to do hard things. But it was sweet. I began to drink from a well I had never tasted before. Stepped into the light, the likes of which had no secrets at all. Not with just my wife and my kids, but with anybody. The freedom and the clear conscience that the grace of Jesus brings to a human soul is unspeakable. God began to move in my heart in wonderful ways. Sensing that I needed some time out of pastoral ministry, I remained in our church. I took a restorative sabbatical and began to just tap in to the story that God was writing in my life. I immediately realized that I probably needed to have someone speak into me. You see, I had a broken thought about pastors. I thought that pastors were the ones who did all the counseling. So therefore, if a pastor ever needed counseling, he was no longer qualified to do the counseling. And so I thought I was done. How dumb is that? One of the greatest gifts that I have ever received was going to Colorado to a guy I had never met before and sitting down, walking into a room, looking at candles seated on a coffee table, a leather couch, Play-Doh, and a blinky light. I will tell you, I was somewhat disturbed thinking, what have I gotten myself into? That two weeks ended up being one of the greatest gifts at that time of my life. But I got to tell you a story of how I got there. Southwest Airlines, flying out to Colorado. Three rows back, middle seat is where I'm seated. The guy to my left on the window, for one hour and 18 minutes while we're flying, talked to me nonstop. I timed it. (laughs) While he was talking, he began to tell a parable about a pastor. With every detail and piece of information that no one knew in my life. I was so uncomfortable. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. I just listened. When he was done, he literally, he turned to me, looked me square in the eyes, and with eyes that I'm not even sure were human, he said to me, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, David? I freaked out. I looked at him and I said, I do. He then looked at me and he said, David, I am here to tell you. You are going to get through this. 
God is going to use you. It's okay. I don't know what to do. I think the seatbelt light was on. I didn't care. I unbuckled. I headed for the lavatory. I shut the door. I can remember just shaking, kind of hyperventilating, looking in the mirror, asking myself, what just happened? You see, I didn't believe in that kind of stuff. (laughs) Finally, before there's like an alarm that a guy has disappeared on the plane, I, I realize it's time to go back, so I go back to my seat. This person was seated there. He had headphones on. He was on his laptop. I dare not disturb him. I didn't want to hear any more. We land, pull up to the gate, ding, mob, trying to get luggage, pack into the aisle to get off. I'm one of them. Grab all my stuff. I turn, because he can't get out, right? I'm thinking I probably should just thank him. Nice to meet you. I turn, and he was gone. He was not there. I can't tell you what that was. I know this. It happened. Yesterday I was encouraged reading through Acts. Philip and the eunuch. Jesus tells Philip, hey, get up, go. I want you to go down and go to the desert. He he obeys. He finds the eunuch. The eunuch asks him a question. Philip explains it. Finds water, gets baptized. And the Bible says immediately Philip disappeared so that the eunuch could see him no more. He was like there and gone. I just smiled. (laughs) Came back, began to press into just my soul. Didn't understand words like soul care. Didn't understand that out of my soul is what real ministry is birthed out of. Began to press into that. Started a family business called Seal It, concrete seal coating. Never forget the afternoon, just very quickly, two minutes, I was at Darren and Shannon's next door neighbor's house. Mind you, I've never met them before. I'm standing there giving an estimate to their neighbors. They pull up. Their house is still not even out of the ground yet. I walk over, introduce myself as potentially what I thought were the new homeowners, and maybe two, three minutes of conversation. We talked about this last service, and I can remember looking in Darren's eyes, and all I can say is that I was intrigued with Darren. That was a good thing. I didn't know anything about him. I just gave him a card, said, when the house gets built, if you ever want to call me, um, I'll come and give you an estimate. That was it. That was a year and a half ago. First season of Sealit takes place, and while I'm out, hot summer month, really, really hot, like 103 degrees hot, I'm working away. By the way, one of my biggest fears in life was being alone. The deafening noise of being alone. So I medicated by constantly being around people because I learned to do what people liked. I knew that if I could love them and pour into them, they would appreciate that and that would then in turn minister to my broken soul. But it wasn't the kind of authentic ministry that Jesus desired. So I was alone a lot of the time. I'd be listening to podcasts and I can remember one afternoon when it happened when God breathed life into my life. I'm working away, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, nowhere, this little puff of breeze just came and just wafted over my cheek. It felt so good. I started giggling like a little kid. I dropped my my thing, and I literally out loud, I just looked up and I said, Father! (laughs) 
thank you. That was awesome. Can you do that again? It was so refreshing. I was distracted as I was thinking that because right at that moment, a bumblebee flew by, caught my attention, and landed on a little flower below. And like an eight-year-old little boy, I literally stopped what I was doing, got down real close, and watched this bumblebee go from flower to flower to... I was mesmerized. It was like a National Geographic commercial coming alive right in front of me. I looked up from that, and I saw for the first time in so long, blue. The sky was blue. I can't tell you the last time I noticed the sky. I was numb. I was busy doing, doing, doing. Loved my wife, loved my kids, loved our church, loved our neighbors, but I was numb. And God began to breathe life into me. Winter came, seasonal business. I had time to do some educational pursuit, finished it. Now we're May of last year, coming up on one year. Unbeknownst to me, our church was kind and they recognized me one Sunday morning, an accomplishment of finishing this program. So they called me up front. I, I wasn't expecting this. It's kind of awkward when that happens, right? They gave me a gift. This. The Bible. Cool, right? I was offended. I'm a pastor. I don't need another Bible. I got like 45 Bibles. Now, I'm just being transparent with you. I really did not appreciate the Bible. In fact, when I started looking at it, I realized that it was not like any kind of special Bible. There was no pictures in it, no maps, no like cool commentaries, no cross-references, no latest and greatest. Here's the irony of this. It was just the Bible. So I literally did not open the packaging. I went home and I set it on my coffee table. This, this was really ugly in me, okay? This is me coming out. I sat it on my coffee, or not coffee table, the, end, the uh, end table there by the bed, and I did not touch it for four days. And then on the fourth morning, I woke up, and I actually thought, I wonder if maybe somehow they put money in there. <laughs> right? I'm really bad. <laughs> I open it up. There was no money, but there was this. The guy who wrote this was here for a service. He sat right there. He was my young Timothy. He's the pastor now at Trinity. If you tore this page out of my Bible, I might hurt you. <laughs> because when I read it, I wept. At that very moment, I began to look inside and I realized not only were there no cool stuff, but there was like these blank lines on all the pages and I realized it was a journaling Bible. And I thought, oh, great. I've tried that before. The only thing good about a journal is the nice, really cool smell of a new leather journal with nothing inside. It's like, that's for some reason cool to me. I would try journaling for two or three days and I'd always quit because it was such a chore. Because I'd always think someone someday is going to find this and they're going to read this. So I can't be honest. And it's got to sound really intellectual and really good like it's some thesis that I'm writing that they're going to publish. How broken is that? I realized it's a journaling Bible, and all of a sudden, I can't say that I heard it with an audible voice, but the Spirit spoke to me and said, David, I want you to pursue wisdom. 
So I thought, okay, where, put my pastor hat on, where's Proverbs? And then immediately brokenness comes back. I thought, how shallow is that? These people that read one chapter a day for the month of Proverbs. And yet that's exactly what God told me to do. May 18th, last year, some of the only notes in this Bible are here in the book of Proverbs, and now I, some pages I don't have any more space to write, where God began on my back deck. I would go out on my deck in the morning. My prayer life began to change. I didn't really talk a whole lot when I prayed. I just said, Lord, I'm here. I'm listening. And I would read Proverbs, and all of a sudden, just like, I don't know where, coming out of me, I just started to write. And I would talk to my Heavenly Father. I don't think there's anything I would rather do than get on my deck and hear from my Jesus and talk to him. I told you about the breeze, the bees, the blue. Here comes the birds. I'm sitting on my deck and I watch a robin. All of a sudden he starts chirping and I'm mesmerized. I watch the robin. He flutters down to the grass below. He starts hopping around and all of a sudden he, he puts his beak into the earth and up comes a worm. And then he did it again and again and again. Little boy again. I'm like, wow, how cool is that? And then I hear the words of Jesus. David, you see that bird? You know why I feed that bird every day? Because I love that little bird. How much more do I love you? That brought us to July 4th this past summer. It was my desire all along, and our church was so kind and loving to us to return to pastoral ministry there. That was the plan. Day before, we left for vacation to Colorado to go to our cabin that is owned by my dad. Grew up going there. Hadn't been there in 13 years. We met. I met with my fellow elders, and the plan was in place. When we returned, I was going to step back into pastoral ministry there. That's what I wanted. That's what I've been praying for. It's what my heart was set on. And please understand, I love my church family there. I really do. We left on vacation, and we stopped in Frisco on the way up to Grand Mesa, where our cabin is. I'm on the back patio. I'm having my soul care time. I'm watching the bees and the birds and the blue sky, and all of a sudden I hear, David, I'm going to give you direction, but it's going to be through your kids. I want you to ask your kids to speak into you. I had never done that before, right? Dads make decisions and kids follow. A couple days later, we're at the cabin. We're sitting around one evening at the cabin. I'm nervous because my boys are here right now. They're, they're active. Um, 19, 18, family vacation is not the time to have a serious family talk. So I didn't see this going really well. We sit there, and all of a sudden, as we're sitting there, Andrew jumps up to go get a game of Monopoly. And I hear, now. I said, okay. So I said, guys, before we play, I just, I just wanted to talk real quick. Um, before we left, we met. Here's the timeline. Here's the plan. This is what I'm desiring to do. What do you guys think? I want you to actually speak into this. And I can't explain to you. It was like angels descended into that space. And all of my kids just perked up and listened, like on cue. It's like, how does that happen? Because it's never happened before or again. 
They're listening, and, and all of a sudden, Michaela, my oldest, who's not here today, she raises her hand, literally raises her hand in the middle, in the middle of the floor of the cabin. Can I go first? And I said, sure. And one by one, unprompted, unscripted, from Michaela to Andrew to Caleb to Karis, and then my son-in-law, he raises his hand at the end. I'm part of the family now, too. Can I say something? They all spoke. And it all came together with one voice and said this, Dad, God has done God's done some really neat things in you and in our family, in us. And we think that actually your time of ministry at Trinity has come to fulfillment and that God has something new. I was terrified when I heard that because that's not what my plan was. That's not my story. So I immediately pushed back and I can remember saying, I hear you, but... You don't understand this, this other idea you're presenting isn't going to pay the bills. I was thinking financial and provisional. I didn't have a plan B. I didn't know where to go, what to do. And I had sensed in my heart God was going to keep us here. So as soon as I said that, Michaela, she just blurts out, doesn't raise her hand this time. She says, Dad, are you kidding me? Your whole life you've been preaching to everybody and even us about. And before she could say it, I said, no, I know, honey, faith. She says, no, you don't. You don't have a stinking clue. And then she gets quiet and compassionate. And she says, Dad. Don't be a martyr. Don't be a victim. This isn't just about you. We're a family. We're behind you. We're going to walk this story together. The angels left the room. (laughs) We were done. I go home, take five days out of my deck, processing, arguing, and then finally... At 1.30 in the morning, on the fifth night, I did that. It was scary, but it was awesome. Had no idea what was going to happen. By the way, pastors just don't typically do that. That's just dumb. So... I talked to my fellow elders. They took 24 hours to pray. They didn't get it at first. And they came back and said, okay, we see God is all over this. We don't understand it. We don't get it, but he's in it. Tell the church family, same response. A couple of them were like, well, where are you going? And I literally said, I don't know. And they were like, well, like, where are you going to go next Sunday when your final Sunday's over here? Where are you going to go the next Sunday? I said, I don't know. And I didn't. My last sermon was September 10th. We took two weeks to go to two other churches. And on the Monday after that second visit of that second church, I said, Lord, on my deck again, God, I don't, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep going to church after week after week. I said, I, 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 need, I need something where you have me and my family to be. So I'd remembered him. Um, a couple weeks right before that, I had actually serviced his driveway. We talked a little bit, found out that he was a pastor, and I had remembered that. So I got online, and I searched. I had no idea what church it was, and I found the church. Conduit. My brokenness and transparency again. I thought, what a cheeseball name for a church. <laughs> I'm, I love it now, but I... I thought, oh boy, like, 
holding hands, kumbaya. Con- yeah, I. So I, I get online, I start reading the website, and I start reading the doctrinal statement and everything that was published, and I literally out loud, I just found myself. It was, it was, it was funny to me. I, I kept making the sound. Hmm. Huh. Huh. Hmm. It sounded so same, what God was doing in my heart. So I went to Tammy, hey, honey, um, you don't know this guy, did his driveway. By the way, his name is in my Bible like five times with a question mark by it. No idea why. Just wrote it down when the Lord told me to write it down. So I said, honey, let's go try this church. We'll probably have to leave 10 minutes in, but if you want to go, we'll just go. So we came. First Sunday in October, sat right there. Ten minutes in, I look over, Tammy's crying. I start crying. The spirit was in this place. I leave, we walk out, I look over to Tammy, I said, and before I could say anything, she looks at me and she says, I don't know about you, but I'm not going anywhere else. That's part of my story. The exciting kind of neat footnote is that after all that happened, I'm on my deck again the next morning processing, listening, and all of a sudden I can remember the moment where I sat there and I thought, no way. I pick up the phone and I call my buddy, Derek. Hey, Derek, I remember you said you had a pastor friend in Tennessee. What's his name? He said, Darren. I said, what's his last name? Tyler. What's the name of his church? Conduit. I said, dude, you are not going to believe this. We were just there yesterday. What? Where is it? Six miles from my house. No way. Really? Yeah. He's my neighbor. No. <laughs> Circumstantial coincidence? I don't think so. That sovereign omnipotence. We're here. We're in this together with you. This is us. By God's grace, the Lord has brought us here. I'm confident of that. And our desire, not just mine, but my family, is to pour into you, to tell our story. No holds barred. I've had several people in the previous service come up and say, I want to talk to you. I want to hear the rest of your story. Okay. But I want to hear yours too. I want to be able to sense what God is doing in you. Our commitment is to love you and pour into you as much as God will allow that grace to flow. So that, this was awesome to me. We're just nine chapters in here to the book of Acts, and here's what Luke says. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the CPS, and it multiplied. Isn't that kind of cool that already by chapter nine, Jesus' prediction was already coming true? Except notice what's missing there. Jesus said witnesses would go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where else? uttermost part of the earth. That hadn't happened yet. Fast forward. Do you realize we are the uttermost part of the earth? The gospel got to us.
I'm not suggesting that we're done. We still need to take the gospel where Jesus' name is not known to the ends of the earth that are still out there. But wouldn't it be wonderful if fast-forwarding past chapter 28 of Acts were somewhere, maybe we're like chapter 1,450 right now, but to be able to say as our prayer together, as we map our story together, that the church at Conduit had peace, was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we multiply. That's our Jesus. If you don't know him, let me tell you more about him. If you know him and you're numb, ask Jesus to breathe his spirit on you. The checklist will go away and your love and passion will birth. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love and amazing grace. Jesus, he died in our place. You paid what we could not pay. You lived what we could not live. And yet we, we stand clothed in your righteousness. Spirit, unleash, unlayer us. One layer at a time, patiently, delicately. But God, bring us to the most truest of who we are. And may we enjoy doing that in the presence of each other. That we might pour our lives out, exhaust them for the cause of Jesus. Looking forward to the day when you come again. And all of those who know Jesus would say, Amen. Amen. Wow. What's cool is this guy Derek Smothers that he's talking about. I met him out of a very painful part of our church history early on. There was a family and it was some really painful things that were happening. And I ended up calling, I was like, I need to get some insight into this family. And they've long since moved on. But I called and met their old pastor named Derek Smother. And that's how I met Derek. So from all that came this relationship. Um, would you stand to your feet? Uh, love on Pete if you get a chance before he leaves today. He's headed out to Chicago and then back to home. And uh, just know that, man, Shannon and I love you. And know this, that God brought David and his family here miraculously, just like he brought yours miraculously. Maybe for just today, maybe for a, a, a journey from here on out, but we're just so excited. And know that just right now, next, if, you're, if you're new through this exit sign, turn left and there's a door there. That's where the Conduit Connect event is. It is a lovely lunch, and it'll be a chance for us to get to know each other. Jesus, bless, be with, um, go with my brothers and sisters today as they go into their, their own homes, their own neighborhoods, uh, to be a conduit of the Spirit to, to their family, uh, to, to their neighborhood, to their city, and to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.